Hello, friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Before we take you to your favorite Sports History Network show, just want to tell you a little bit about some merch that you can pick up that represents your favorite SHN podcast. So far, there's t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even books from some of the authors that do podcasts right here on SHN. Who could buy something better than that than have the history right from the, the gentleman that you hear talking about it? But we also are adding things each and every day. And where's that store, may you ask? Well, it's at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Up at the top, there is the SHN. HN merch button. Click on that. It'll take you right to the store and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that, hey, on the swag that I'm using, it's the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear, Sports History Network, and my favorite podcaster, the Sports History Network store. Shop there today. In August of 2020, I was uh, scanning the internet looking for some football history sites just to see if I could get some more information, maybe pick up some dates to help me with my football history headlines blog that I was writing for pigskindispatch.com. And I came across this podcast that was called The Football History Dude. And I said, wow, this guy's a football history dude. I'm, I'm, I like football. I like history. And I, I like to write about football history. So this is the dude I need to talk to. So I go to his website. It takes me to the sportshistorynetwork.com place. And I look at it. I'm like, wow, this is kind of a cool place. I'd like to maybe put some of my, my writings here from my blog and just have a you know another avenue to maybe you know expand the audience a little bit. Have be on another website that's called you know Football History Dude, Sports History Network. This sounds great. I'm going to contact this guy. I had a contact place. So I contact. I get an email back from this guy called Arnie Chapman. And he ends up being the football history dude. And I said, wow, this is perfect. He gives me his phone number and says, hey, give me a call. And we pick the time and date and the email. So I give him a call when it becomes that time. And I get on the phone with him. And remember, my intention is I want to be able to you know, write a couple blogs to put on the Sports History Network and maybe have the football history dude mention something about Pigskin Dispatch. So we get on and we start talking. And this Arnie seems like a pretty nice guy, very personable and everything. And uh, he, all of a sudden, he gets me excited. I start getting the passion is growing even more on me about football history. This guy's really getting me fired up. It's like it's game time and I'm in the locker room ready to go out and take the field. He has this great idea about the Sports History Network and he wants to have a whole bunch of people on sports history come together and do things, uh, you know, like blogging and podcasting and just have a, the headquarters of sports yesteryear. And I said, well, that's all pretty cool, Ernie. I really like that. And he then he drops a bomb on me that really changes uh, everything for me. He says, hey, why don't you do a podcast? I said, a podcast? I I don't know. I, I would really like to do blogs. That's what I'm really good at. Well, I did do some YouTube videos. I did like 40 YouTube videos and I talked in those. Well, the next thing I know coming out of my mouth is I said, well, if I'm going to do a podcast, I want to do one every single day. Back of my mind, there's a voice saying, what are you saying? Stop. And as a matter of fact, there's a voice on the other uh, side of the phone. It was Arnie Chapman saying, are you crazy? Are you sure you want to do one every single day? Are you nuts? Well, I was bound and determined and I was committed at that point. And I said, hey, yeah, I can do this. I write a blog every day. I did YouTube videos every day for 40 days. A daily podcast? Sure, why not? So he got me fired up, got me involved in this podcasting thing, gave me some education of basically how to do it, and I said, hey, you know, you're going to have to produce these yourself because I can't do this every single day for somebody to help you. Uh, you've got to do this on your own. I said, well, I think I can do it. I think I can figure it out. So between his help and I have some other great friends, you know, my IT guy, Bill Noble, helped me out quite a bit and so did this thing. And now we're 200 days into this thing. But... 
Today is a special day for Ernie Chapman, and that's why I mention it, because today, March 23rd, is his birthday, and don't ask me how old he is, because he's uh, still pretty young. As a matter of fact, I think I have a couple pairs of shoes and probably some socks that are, that are older than uh, Mr. Chapman is, but Ernie is a great guy, and we're excited because it's his birthday today, and he gets to talk about his favorite NFL player of all time as we go in this football by numbers series, the greatest number 20s ever to play in the NFL. So I want to thank Arnie for cheerleading me into doing something I'm very passionate about. And I just love podcasting and talk to all of you every single day. And if it wasn't for Arnie sort of pushing that button, you know, pushing me off the cliff, so to speak. I, I wouldn't be doing this and having a time of my life doing it and meeting some great people in the process. And I want to thank him for that on his birthday. And a very happy birthday, buddy. Have a great one. Hope you have a great day. And he's going to talk about his favorite player. Let's see if you can guess who that is. And it's all coming up in just a moment. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. This is your host, Darren Hayes, and we're podcasting from the Pigpen in Western Pennsylvania to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So with Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff supplying us with the tunes, let's go no huddle through today's football history headlines. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of pigskindispatch.com. And lately here in the pig pen, all the talk is about our fun discussion of our football by numbers series. And in particular, many have been looking forward to this episode because tonight we're going to discuss the greatest NFL players that wore the number 20. To help us travel back through the time-space continuum for the past 100-plus years of the annals of the NFL, we brought in a special guest to come up with our list for this jersey number. So hang on to your flux capacitors, because I've been waiting to say this for a long time now. Arnie Chapman, the football history dude, welcome to the pig pen. Ah, Darren, thank you, and I love the reference. Let's, Like you said, let's get this baby up to 88 miles an hour. We're going to hop on our DeLorean, go back and explore now, which is great, 100-plus years of the NFL, so I'm looking forward to it. Number 20, um, maybe holds a little special place in my heart. We we may or may not get into some of the reasons for that down the road, but yeah, no, I'm glad to be here in the pig pen. Let's go ahead and get after number 20. Well, we're glad to have you here, and I'm sorry we don't have the... uh friendly confines of like a DeLorean for you to sit in here but you know you can uh, pull up a bale of hay and sit here against that fence post and here in a pig pen and uh just keep your feet out of the mud because uh we don't want to mess that up too much but yeah no uh, worries Darren I'll use that hoverboard that I brought along with me from Mattel (laughs) there you go there you go well Arnie uh just for our listeners out there why don't you tell us a little bit about the football history dude podcast that you're uh so famously (laughs) <laughs> well, Al, thanks for the kind words. But yeah, so the Football History Dude podcast is, I guess you could say, a brainchild of back in the day, I had a podcast of my own, and it was from a fantasy football show. Uh, flash forward probably 10 years after that, I I want to get into this podcast thing again. And I was going to start what they call Fantasy Football Dude podcast, but hey, there's about a million of them out there. So I kind of toiled around, looked and seen, what, what am I interested in? I love football. And I love listening to history, and I love those types of podcasts. So I started looking and seeing how many there were, and I was like, maybe I can get into that. And 
you know, from there, I started a show called the Football History Do Podcast with a theme. Yes, you kind of alluded to it, the flux capacitor and the DeLorean. And I was born the same year that Back to the Future came out. And Back to the Future is one of my favorite movies. And if you were to look at all of my artwork, yeah, there's going to be some Back to the Future references as long as well as in the show. There's Back to the Future references for everything. So... I started off, you know, as a solo show, I went through the history, which is great for this episode because it's kind of cool. We'll talk about that. I get to go back to relive some of my previous episodes of my solo episodes where I had talked about specific players. And then down the road, I ended up starting more interviews. And really now that's all it is. It's interviews. And I bring on different guests because I'm no by no means the expert. I'm the dude that wants to learn along with the listener just as everybody else. Bring on a guest and let them share their experiences and everything. And we'll probably talk about a couple of those guests as we come along here today too. Well, we're looking forward to That's why we have you on. And tonight we have the challenge of coming up with the greatest NFL players that wore the NFL's uh, number 20 on their jersey. And uh, there are some really some great names in here. And as a matter of fact, uh, we have sort of a head start on this because the Pro Football Hall of Fame has given us 11 names that they say wore the number 20 in their career and that are enshrined in Canton, Ohio. And uh, I'm going to go through those names real quick. We'll go into more detail on them in a second. But uh, alphabetically, we have Lem Barney, Cliff Battles, Brian Dawkins, Patty Driscoll, Ray Flaherty, Pete Henry, Curly Lambeau, Johnny Blood McNally, Ed Reed, Mel Renfro, and some guy from Detroit that wore number 20. Uh, <laughs> Ronnie Rivers, that's who it is, there, Ronnie there Rivers. You there you go. <laughs> Uh, just so, so listeners know, I'm having a little bit of fun with Arnie. Arnie is a diehard Detroit Lions fan, and he grew up watching number 20 with the Lions, probably the most famous of the Lions number 20s, Barry Sanders, and that is our 11th uh, person on our list that the Pro Football Hall of Fame has given us. Now, I'm going to make this a little challenging for us tonight because we're going to go through our discussion, and uh, we, we don't have to put these these 11 that we just mentioned the Pro Football Hall of Fame on our list, but... I want to come up with a top 15 tonight between you and I. You know, we may take some convincing and some, you know, maybe arm wrestling or anything. Of course, you just came from the gym, so I might lose that one. But uh, we'll, we'll come, we want to come to the end of this thing and have 15 names that we can say proudly, these are our top 15 number 20s in the NFL has ever seen. Sound fair enough? That sounds fair to me, and I'm glad that you mentioned how maybe we won't go with just the Hall of Fame because as I was doing a little research, I was like – these Hall of Famers are great. However, can I really put them as some of these guys as the top 20 jersey wearers of all time? So, I mean, that's one of the things I was considering, and we'll get into that as well. You know, let's let's uh, dig in wherever you want, Darren. Okay, well, how about let's start off with our Hall of Famers we just mentioned, and we'll go right down through alphabetically, if you don't mind. How's sure, that let's get after it. Okay, our first one we had on the list was Lem Barney. Uh, do you want to talk about Lem or you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, 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 you know, I'm growing up in an era where I didn't actually get to watch him play. You know, I watched some of the highlights and stuff. Lem Barney, Detroit Lions, uh, another one special in the hearts around these parts. You know, more my, my, my dad would have watched him because of he was at that. He got drafted second round in 1967, so then he would have been in that era where as he got into the league, and by the way, rookie defensive player of the year, 10 interceptions his first year in the league, three return back for touchdowns. I mean, at the time, I think that might have been close to a record. So not a bad way to start in the league when everybody thought maybe he was just this fast dude out of nowhere. But overall, I mean, he had a great career, Pro Football Hall of Fame, and then uh, there's some other things off 
the the field I saw that he was a part of too, and maybe some of these movies you might recognize and remember too. But I saw that he was in the IMDb. They credited him with being in the Paper Lion, but then also oh. there was a movie called The Black Six with one of your boys, Mean Joe Green. Willie oh, Lanier okay. and some others. I, I didn't re- recognize all the other names, but yeah, I have to go back and look at that. So they had six. I think it might have been six football players, and they were called the Black Six. So I had to go back and check that out and see mm-hmm. what that's all about. And then I also seen again not on football field, but he was the background vocals for Marvin Gaye's songs. Uh, What's going on? So really wow. multi talented, multi faceted kind of dude, just like he was with the NFL. I mean, he was. Known to be a ball hawk kind of guy, you know, he was a guy that could go all over the field type of deal. But then when you break it down also, he was one of the top perennial kick returners, uh, punt returners, even though it said in the Hall of Fame that it was more of a on emergency, we'll use air quotes there. But yeah, he was a top dog when it came to that. I even saw that he had a 94-yard, I think it was, field goal return kick, uh, again, the punt return, kick return, interception return. So, I mean, you put the ball in this guy's hands, he's going to take it to the house. Just like, you know, the whole, if they had Madden back then, he'd be the Madden-style kind of player. <laughs> wow. The football history to dig in deep. Paper Lions, the Black Six, and singing backgrounds for Marvin Gaye on this Hall of Famer that wore the number 20. Wow. That is some great insight and a great player, uh, Lem Barney. All right, uh, our second uh, person from the Hall of Fame we want to talk about is Cliff Battles. Uh, what do you have about Cliff Battles? Oh, Cliff Battles, actually, Darren. I'm glad that you uh, brought me on to talk about Cliff Battles in this show because I never even heard about this guy. Or if I did, it was in passing. I mean, of course, we've done so much research throughout the – I'm on 155 episodes, I guess, now starting in a couple of days here. Wow. and. Maybe in an interview somewhere, because I did a lot of uh, research on the Redskins uh, back in the 30s because of I did an episode on George Preston Marshall and then Sling and Sammy Baugh and some other guys. But uh, Cliff Battles was not a guy that I really thought about necessarily until you brought me on here. I mean, the Pro Football Hall of Fame right here, of course, says triple threat grid star at West Virginia Wesleyan. Doesn't mean anything to me. I don't even know what that school is until you get into this next one where it says NFL rushing champ for 1932 and 37. He was basically an all NFL choice his entire career, except for it looked like one year in there or something like that. But the thing that got me, and this is something that was a pretty cool stat I had never known about either, was he was the first player to officially rush for 200 yards a game on October 8th, 1933 against the New York Giants. Now, Grant, he was playing for the uh, Boston Braves at the time before George Preston Marshall decided to kick him down to Washington, D.C., but when he did, he took his star player, Cliff Battles, the premier running back in the league at the time, then in 37... Well, actually, it might have been before that, but the 37, I think, was when was slinging Sammy Baugh. We've heard of that guy, right? Yeah, I don't mm-hmm. know if you got to that number. Wouldn't What number was uh, Sammy Baugh, I wonder? I'm, I'm, he's, for the quarterback I, I number? Think, yeah, I don't think we've seen him yet. I think he's up in the 20s, but uh, not Okay, so we put that running back, who's the premier running back in the league, with the dude that has an arm that says slinging like a cannon. And what is the result? We have a championship the first time for the Washington team. And then, after 1937 season, the you know star, Cliff Battles, he says, I want to raise, dude. I have, I'm making $3,000 a year. And let's put, again, you know, $3,000, that's a year. That Let's just put that into perspective here because how much are they making nowadays? So he says, I want to raise. George Preston Marshall, for whatever reason, his infinite wisdom, for all of his other faults that we have, decides I'm not going to pay you. 
you have a salary wage freeze, even though we just won the NFL championship. So Cliff Battles says, I'm retiring. I'm going to go make $4,000 a year. Yes, $4,000 a year as an assistant coach for Columbia University. And let's put that into perspective because I had to see, I mean, $3,000 a year, that's that's not a lot. I mean, even back then, that wasn't necessarily a lot. I mean, for a professional football player, okay, sure, they had side jobs and such. But the purchasing power for, in 1937, $3,000 was just about $55,000. $4,000 purchasing power was just about $73,000. So that gives you a perspective of what these players, these great individuals were making back then and comparing to what we are now. So that's why it's hard. One reason to really compare yesterday's players from today's players, from way back ago's players. And we'll get into that and, and that kind of thing with maybe the next player as far as a today's player versus yesterday's player. Well, our expert research team was on the Sammy Baugh number. He was number 33 when he played in the NFL. So we'll be getting to him in uh, probably about three weeks. So uh, Awesome, yeah. yeah. Glad you brought him up. I, I, I'll tell you what, Sling and Sammy Baugh, that was one of my favorite episodes to research because just talking about an old Western or a Texan type of attitude, and I just remember the one thing where he was he was talking about slinging tires or slinging the balls into the tire in the backyard and stuff like that. But then after he retires, he says, I don't remember. It was something about I need. I'm going to go get a red truck and I'm going to go back in the Texas fields and I'm just going to go be by myself and my dog or something, something along those lines. But yeah, just like an old country dude kind of thing. Just, just, just cool. Sounds almost like Brett Favre when he uh, finally hung it up. You know, that kind of thing. There you well, go. Yeah, like and again, Louisiana. A, a slinging kind of guy as well. Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of comparisons there. All right, uh, our next Hall of Famer that wore the number 20 that we have on the list, alphabetically again, Brian Dawkins, uh, more of a modern player here. We're covering all aspects of the, the uh, NFL history here. Yeah, Brian Dawkins is somebody that now you're talking into my wheelhouse as far as being a as a fan, being able to watch him play. Uh, Weapon X, that's his nickname, and he's a guy who all over the field they they kind of refer to him as Wolverine. You know, whether it was the big hits, but he was just that kind of guy that seemed like no matter what, just like Wolverine, you just you cannot damage this guy. You cannot penetrate that thick armor. And I mean, here's some of the stats. Okay, let's get into it. He's 64th or 61st overall pick in the 1996 draft. Okay, you know, second round for a safety, that's pretty good. Played 16 mm-hmm. seasons, 13 of them with, with the Eagles, nine Pro Bowls, all Pro five times. You know, he played with the Broncos, and then he gets into the Professional Football Hall of Fame. And I have a little bit of a side story for you, kind of like a, let's peel back the behind the curtains for the football history dude, if you want, and my little experience with yeah. Brian Dawkins. Absolutely. Okay, so 2018. First time I ever get a chance to have press passes to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I am shaking in my boots, man. I'm in the press conference with Ray Lewis, Brian Erlacher, Brian Dawkins, Randy Moss. I mean, the list goes on and on. For the 2018 class, it was phenomenal. And I had a chance to ask Brian Dawkins a question, right? I'm sitting there next to him, and, and I got it on recording somewhere. Let's just say my interview skills has improved because I asked him the question because I didn't know what to ask him. I didn't. I'm like, what do you ask in a press conference? I mean, this is. So I asked him, "What's the one play that you're most proud of in practice?" I'm like, he kind of looks at me like he wanted to slap. Yeah, like because I was. My thought process was like when nobody's looking, right? And I don't know exactly how I worded it to him. I, I was super nervous, and I he he had kind of looked at me crossways like. Because he's a professional, you know, he, he didn't want to say, right. man, you're stupid. School, get out of here. He, he <laughs> turned it around to say, you know what I hope is that everybody around me, my guys, and I don't remember which 
players he named off. But like, if they were to look back at it, they would tell you that I practiced like I played. I was always there. That kind of like he he had the professional answer and stuff. But yeah, no, that was. And then the one question I did ask Brian Urlacher the question about because everybody was asking about a bunch of other things. I asked him about the family, you know, the, the Hallis family. So he like kind of, that one was cool. Cause he actually looked at me like, wow, yeah. no one's actually asking me that right now. And he, he looked right at me and gave me some cool answers about how, you know, the whole, he was so happy that they brought him in and all these other kinds of things, a little bit of history into it. And he said, I never, Oh, that's how I asked the question. That's right. I asked him, what does that little G S H on, on your Jersey mean to you? Where a lot of people that aren't from a history perspective would not have even thought to ask that question. That's what it was. He said, yeah, that, and that's why he looked at me crossways like, man, you actually asked me that question. This is cool. So yeah, that, that's my little bit of my first initial. So you, of, you made up with it with Erlacher's question over, over Dawkinson. Right. Yeah. Let's yeah, 2019. You know, if I, if I was like, Go that ahead. was a good host, like you know Jimmy Fallon or Oprah or something. We would have a clip of that uh, interview with Dawkins that we could play and embarrass you. But I'm sorry, we're not that technically savvy here. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to find it somewhere. I mean, I, I did get to shake his <laughs> hand, so I guess that's where the story was. And then I will tell you his. If you get a chance, go listen to his Hall of Fame speech. It was very emotional, and he talks a lot about personal things that he had to struggle through. As far as I mean, even to the point of suicide struggles, like talking about oh. that in college and then even in the NFL. And he's the kind of guy when you look back and peel the curtain, he was a teammate, a consummate teammate. And his his jersey, according to the website I saw, is actually retired by the Eagles. There's not too many number twenties on this list that I could find. So he was he was one of them. We may or may not talk about a guy somewhere down the road here in this, this interview. But yeah, Dawkins was one of the guys that that was. Uh, they had the team recognize him and and they retired his jersey. I wish I had it up top. Hey, go go type in your beep boop boop your research guys and figure out where he is an all time list for interceptions. Maybe I'm not sure where he is. Oh, oh they're on it right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that, that is definitely some cool stories or some uh, little behind the scenes at the Hall of Fame. You know, for the uh, enshrinees, that's pretty cool. Well, we are going to go way back again. I mean, we've been back and forth here but we're gonna go back again to uh patty driscoll and we've talked about patty driscoll on some other episodes because he and a couple other individuals we're going to talk about uh, have worn multiple numbers and the hall of fame recognizes them for each of those numbers even if they only wore them for one season but uh what do you what do you have about patty driscoll well the first thing about like you said even if you only wore it for one season it's so hard back then i i I don't know if we, I couldn't find a photo with him in it. I, there may be one out there. I don't know. Um, but it did on Pro Football Reference say that 1920 was the year that he wore it. So I'm just going to have to take their word for it at this point. I think they do a great job with the information they can have. Uh, if we want to find a guy who might have a little bit of a clue as to if Patty Driscoll was a pretty good player, we can look no further than we have one guy called Joe Ziemba. And he's someone that is a resident Chicago Cardinals expert. In fact, the interview that I had with him on Friday, here's a teaser bomb for you. The episode that's going to come on a Wednesday has to do with J.J. Watt and why did he have to ask Marshall Goldberg's family to wear number 99. I asked Joe the question, what's the one Chicago Cardinal player that you would retire his jersey if you could, you know, that kind of thing. And he, without hesitation, it wasn't even a flinch. And I'm not even going to edit this in to make it look like it was a fl- not a flinch. He says, Patty Driscoll wasn't even a question. Of course, he did go on to say, well, I don't know. Then again, you know, he's 
he wore so many numbers and back then they didn't have numbers a lot of times. So he's like, I don't know what number to necessarily retire. But again, he was without hesitation. The preeminent source for Chicago Cardinal football was telling you Patty Driscoll has to be retired somehow and recognized. Of course, Hall of Fame, that was one recognition that only so many people get to have. Just a coincidence. Again, I promise this was a coincidence. It wasn't on purpose. But the two episodes ago for when football was football, episode 20 right for this episode Mm -hmm. joe describes essentially how like a little bit of patty driscoll's career so if you want to learn more about patty driscoll i I recommend going to when football was football the podcast you can find that on sports history network listen to episode number 20 he gives you what air quotes the definition of the nfl's first superstar was in his career and some cool little stories in there of course he's hall of fame 19 whoop go ahead sorry Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. So, okay. So, Hall of Fame 1965. 63 was the first Hall of Fame class. So, it wasn't in the first one. But then again, there's a lot of players you're talking about, you know, geez, 40, 43 years worth of players that you have to try to figure in. But, I mean, a guy that's born in 1895, played before the NFL was founded. Again, did he really have a specific number? Can we count him as 20? This is one of them I'm really kind of torn with. I don't know for sure. I'll you have to put him on the all-time list, but do I put him on the 20 list or do I just say we're going to lump all these other players into, you know, another one? But again, great player. Lifelong friend with George Hallis. Papa Bear himself even tried to get him to come play for the Bears, but instead, Patty Driscoll said, nah, I'm okay. You know, because they played together. They played in the Rose Bowl for, uh, like, the, it was the Navy guy. Uh, I can't remember what it was called now. Over in Chicago against the Maritime Marines or something like that. And they played in that Rose Bowl game. And George Hallis says, come play for me and the Bears. And he said, nah, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to play for a... Uh, can you see these air quotes I'm having right here? Because this is, like, about as big an air quotes as you can have. A lucrative contract for $300 a game, which is basically $5,500 today. So, again, you know, he decides to play with the Racine Chicago Cardinals, but then he played professional baseball. This guy played professional basketball, of course, professional football, because that's what we're talking about. He did, however, end up with the Chicago Bears to close out his career. He was also known as the guy who could shut down Red Grange in that big famous Thanksgiving Day 1925. Red Grange is going to play for the Bears as an opening kind of thing. Patty Driscoll mm-hmm. is the guy that kind of shut him down a little bit there, mostly from his punting skills, which you don't necessarily always think of from a number 20. Now then he goes and plays. He's with the Bears for a long time. George Hallis retires for a couple of years from coaching. He handpicks Patty Driscoll. He says, you're my guy. Proceeds to lead them to his first year to the NFL Championship. They lose to the Giants 47-7, but we'll let him get a pass on that in his first year. And then Hallis comes back and everything, so he stays on with the Bears. He ultimately becomes a vice president for a while, and then also the director of planning and research, which is what the position he would hold until the end of his days. So again, how can we not put him on a top overall list? I just, not 100% sold yet. You're going to have to convince me. This is maybe that debate we're going to talk about for number 20. But... Before we go with Patty Driscoll, the next guy, you got to learn more about Patty and Joe Ziemba. When football was football, there's the book that he wrote, and now we have the podcast. All of it you can find on Sports History Network. Just go ahead and search When Football Was Football, or even Patty Driscoll, and you're going to go ahead and find it. Yeah. Joe is definitely the definitive uh, person to talk about anything Chicago football. Um, and Joe and I had a talk about this, too, in a recent podcast. And uh, actually, 
that uh, Rose Bowl that you're talking about, Patty Driscoll threw the, a touchdown pass to George Hallis in that game to uh, put his team up, and they won like 17 nothing. but it was sort of the definitive score that uh, put them over the top. So, yeah, I interesting. can't remember who it was, but there was a quote from one of the papers or something about how the game turned around with Driscoll's firepower, and I wish I'd, again, go to your beep-boop-boop research guy, but yeah, to, to your point, that was something that was kind of neat to think of, two juggernauts, and then down the road, they're essentially like rivals in the same city, and it's just, just a different world that it's so cool to be able to go back. Again, we'll hop in Midori, and all of us can pop together and just learn about that rich history that is the NFL. The most definitely. Well, let's uh, go on to our next player. That was almost a contemporary of uh, Patty Driscoll. That's Ray Flaherty of uh, the Giants fame. Yeah, I, this is, again, I've heard the name actually more on your show probably than anything else, and I think maybe it was because of Larry Schmidt maybe was the guy that, that I heard oh, yeah. about him. But, uh, you know, I've, I've heard the name, and I, it was, and even researching the Sling and Sammy Baugh episode because he would have been their coach at the time, I believe. I I didn't know enough about him. I looked through, I was trying to figure out, was he really that good of a player? I mean, he played, but was he – could we consider him more of – Hall of Fame because of his coaching and his playing, or was it purely coaching? I mean, what what did you kind of find when you looked through there? Well, he was good enough that uh, I mean, he he got to play with Red Grange. Red Grange wanted him to play on a team with them on that tra- traveling team they had. Uh, he was playing end uh, with the New York Yankees, nineteen twenty seven, nineteen twenty eight, um, and he's good enough that, like you mentioned, Larry Schmidt. Larry Schmidt is uh, he is quite in-depth. You know what Josie Umba is for Chicago football, Larry Schmidt is for New York football, and there was quite a few teams in New York. And I can tell you this, that Larry Schmidt is having conversations with the Pro Football Hall of Fame and the New York Giants media guide about changing some uh, statistics that were actually Ray Flaherty's. Uh, one thing in particular, it came up in our number 19 episode. The Pro Football Hall of Fame is saying that Ray Flaherty wore number 19, and Larry has uh, documented proof of all these game programs and everything else that uh, it was not Ray Flaherty that wore number 19. It was a different Flaherty in the league that, that wore it. And, uh, you know, him playing for the Giants one year when he did. And, and there's, a, there's a whole thing. But Larry has, uh, I mean, he's, I think he's writing a book on it. And most of it's on this Ray Flaherty thing. There's, there's oh. quite a bit. So, And he speaks very, very highly of him. I mean, he sort of, you know, right there with Mel Hine, who's another big hero of the, the Giants that uh, Larry speaks highly of. So I'm going to take his word for it. And I know he's Larry's not old enough to watch Ray Flaherty play either. But with his uh, research and, and uh, historical perspective in New York football, I'm going to take his word for it that Ray Flaherty's that important. Just like I'm going to argue for Patty Driscoll because Josie Umba thinks he's that important. So I think these are pivotal players in the NFL. And we may have a that uh, arm wrestling thing here at the end here. To, to <laughs> these guys in or both of them. You know, and, and, and it's almost like uh, like I don't even have a rebuttal because, like you said, Larry, how, how can I argue with either one of those two guys? I mean, if they really did play that much and, and uh, have the number 20, how can you argue – I don't want to get hung up on numbers at that point. You know, they're just, they're, they're great pro football hall of fame men that could you ever compare some of the other players that we're going to talk to on this list, as far as being in a top 15, you know, we, people might think we're drinking something. 
Right. And to be fair, that era didn't have a lot of statistics. You can't go and find, you know, how many yards somebody had necessarily uh, back in the 1920s, 1930s when they played. So it's, it's hard to get some good numbers to, to be comparative to current players or more modern era players. Yeah, that's why I, I had to emphasize the official 200 yards for Cliff Battles because, I mean... T- who knows? There could have been many of them before then, but you know, with this the stats, and even then, that's only basing it off the Pro Football Hall of Fame's website. I mean, until new information comes uncovered from somebody, maybe looking through newspapers or something like that, and that's what's kind of cool about this. Even though there's so much information out there, there's still a lot to discover. So, the listener of your show right now, I'm talking to you. I mean, if you want to do this yourself, I tell you what, Darren's gone. He goes every single day, man. This dude's crazy. I don't know if you if you can have that many Red Bulls like him, but if you want to do it yourself, go out and research, and you even want to start a podcast, you want to do some other thing, hey, we here at the Sports History Network, we want to help you out, and we want to be able to help you promote any kind of research that you have, whether, again, it's podcast, it's an article, whatever it is, get in the door, come to sportshistorynetwork.com, hit us up on the contact page, and we're here to help you. Well said, well said. Well, let's go to another Hall of Famer, another one that has shown up on some other lists, but another great player, and this might be one, too, that you might want to argue about a little <laughs> bit, but, you know, Wilbur Pete Henry. Uh, what do you have on Pete Henry? Well, you know, Fats is kind of hard to argue with because he's a big dude. I mean, back then, he was just a massive behemoth of a man. Um, episode 14, actually, of the Football History Dude podcast is what I did on Wilbur Pete Henry, and he was such a big deal again at that time that the same day that the nfl was founded we all look at september 17th 1920 as the day that shall live in infamy for every other sports league that's out there because football is going to dominate but at the time they were like second third page back on the you know like a napkin somewhere the nfl well not the nfl the american professional football association but Wilbur Pete Fats Henry for the Canton Bulldogs was signed on the same day that they were talking about this NFL thing. He was the primo kind of guy, this tackle, big, burly guy. Looks kind of like the Pillsbury Doughboy, so they didn't think he was necessarily a football player. But just like Chris Farley, that guy was agile for his size, man. I tell you what, and he held, he had supposedly, again, we don't have the camera. I, I wait a second, I, I, I'm trying to recover from. Uh, uh, a Chris Farley uh, <laughs> with, a, with an ath- NFL athlete. I'm trying to have some trouble with that. Hey, I'm for sorry. the for the size and the way that that guy was, he could move. You, I mean, you ever watched that one with that video with Patrick Swayze? How can you not say the only reason why he didn't win was because you know he had the moves. He just didn't win because the other thing. Fat man in a little coat, you know. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, I miss him. I can remember the day. I can. I don't remember the, the specific date, but I, I know exactly where I was when I found out that he passed away. I was in, I want to say it was third grade. I was in the lunch line in school, and my buddy Zach says, hey, Chris Farley died. You're, and, wait, you're, you're, you're making about uh, 75% of the listenership, including your host, feel very old right now. Yeah, third I know. Grade. Yeah, I'm sorry about that, but, uh, you know, <laughs> sometimes it is what it is. But I can mm-hmm. specifically remember because how, Chris Farley was so cool for us. There was that short period of time, and it's just one of those moments when people say, where were you? And I'm like, how do I remember? It's third grade. It was even spaghetti day. I don't know why I remember that, too. But <laughs> <laughs> Spaghetti-os or spaghetti? Spaghetti. Maybe that's why I don't like spaghetti, spaghetti. anymore. <laughs> Uh, maybe, maybe. <laughs> but yeah, go back to, to Fats Henry, talk about football, and let's let's tie it all in with the food and stuff and cafeteria. He was, again, he was the big signing of the day. He overshadowed, you know, the NFL foundation and the papers. The Canton Bulldogs, they were the premier 
powerhouse team of the area, the Ohio League at the time. And then, of course, in 1922, 1923, the first back-to-back NFL champions. And he was a big part of it I mean, for many reasons. Two ways. Back then, everybody went two ways. But offensive superstar, defensive superstar. Then the coolest thing, I don't know why this one always sticks out, but he booted supposedly a 94-yard punt and even his hall of fame bio if you look at his photo it's him punting a ball this big dude which you don't shane leckler is probably the closest as far as size that i can think of of a punter that has that pooch in front of him and this guy just they're showing him as the punter for his uh photo and of course inaugural hall of fame class 1963 again how can you argue with him the only argument i could potentially say like you said was how many years did he wear number 20 but again i'm gonna probably let this pass because you and you've you've convinced me that i'm probably gonna have to let pass it doesn't matter how many years they wore it now you know know what my my curious mind is running here with that story now just think about that you know they're they're in the showroom in canton and ray uh ralph hay is serving beer you know with I'm picturing these galvanized buckets of beer coming out and sitting on the, you know, these guys are sitting around the room, sitting on the uh, floorboards and stuff of the the hutmobiles, and so they get done there. So they, they've they're probably half liquored up here when they're all done, I would imagine. And then he runs out and you know, I assume it had to be Ralph Hay, as signs Fats uh, Henry to a contract. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I don't know if he. I'm surmising that his the timeline of events was he signed him earlier that day, not not at the evening, oh, nighttime. Okay. You know, if it were me, I would have brought him along and said, hey, come check out this new thing because we have Jim Thorpe. We're going to make a president of this new league and you're going to be one of our superstars. But I again, what really happened? There's there's talk that that September 17th, 1920 truly isn't when it was formed because that was just for everybody to kind of sign off on it essentially all of the things that they had to talk about were already mostly taken care of back in august i, I don't have the date in front of me i want to say it's august 20th was the date that they had the initial I, meeting pretty close there i think you're right uh, but maybe he was worried about you know he only had so much beer and he's worried about a guy named fats coming in with, uh, <laughs> yeah don't bring this guy people <laughs> yeah he was like 250 <laughs> so, pounds or something which at the time would have been like a 350 pounder today <laughs> right right <laughs> Well, here's somebody else from that same era that's on our list, and that's Curly Lambeau. Uh, this this guy's got a football field named after him. Yeah, that's that's one of the. I mean, that I high highlighted that, bolded it, and italicized it. That how many times do you actually get a football field named after you that's lasted that long? So it's hard not to put him anywhere on some kind of. If you have a top list of anything, you got to put him in again. My, I don't know, maybe kind of debater size says was if he never became a coach would we have ever heard of his name was he really that good of a football player at the time or would he have just been washed away in the the annals like everybody else i don't I, I he was he was he was decent maybe i think but i don't think he was to that level yeah i i agree with you this might be one that i i might be convinced that we could maybe take off that list if somebody else replaces him but you know the guy's got a great a football resume uh and it's interesting because he was born in green bay yeah. went to high school in green bay went to the university of wisconsin i think briefly the university of notre dame and uh then plays for the packers and then coaches the packers the guy never left home he's, he's sort of like uh 
Like Darren Hayes, never leave home. Just stay in the same town you're born in, you know, and never leave. Yeah, I mean, he basically founded them. And, I mean, then he tried to get him kicked out of the league, too. I mean, he did successfully do that, get him kicked out of the league for about f- five or six months because they're using college players, and he got caught. But then he made a promise, hands and knees begging, yeah, please, I will never do that again. And then they let him in, which, thankfully, as a, unfortunately, as a Lions fan, they let him back in and the Packers back in. And then they proceeded to, in his tenure, win six NFL. NFL championships. There's one stat that I had that I saw from 1929 to 1944. I mean, that's only like 16 years, right? Mm-hmm. He won six of the 16 championships. That's 38% of all the championships for the entire league go to Curly Lambeau and the Green Bay Packers. So you can't tell me that during his time, he was not the premier coach at, you know, at least Okay, fine. Top one, two. Let's call it. Let's argue about it. But so it's hard to not put him on an all-time list. But again, with us as a player, I don't know. I mean, it's it's so hard to tell. Again, he he was an innovator. He made passing an integral part of the offense. You have Don Hudson coming in, and the rest is history. I mean, the Packers, one of the most storied franchises you have. Period in the NFL. Right. Absolutely. Okay, moving on, we have our, our next uh, player. Also, we've talked about him quite a bit. This is probably the fourth, third or fourth number he's wore, and we're only at 20. Uh, Johnny Blood McNally. Johnny Blood. Yeah, Johnny Blood's another guy that I had an episode on. Uh, again, inaugural class. So how can you argue against him? Inaugural football, a uh, pro football hall of fame class in 1963, episode 31. I was, it was, this was a fun one from a different perspective. I've heard your, your other episodes where they talked about the, getting the name blood because they were using the the pseudo names or whatever because of you know yeah. moonlighting and such yeah War, warren rogan had a great story on it. it was it was very fascinating yeah did did he talk about uh when he went into like during one of the championship games when they were he went into curly lambo's room to try to get him to give him money and things like that i i really wish i could go back i'm going to tell everybody episode 31 for the full story of football history dude because i can't remember exactly how it goes but yeah no there was something where they were out him and the buddy one of the other players and it was past curfew and all that kind of thing and johnny blood the other guy says you can't do that you can't go into coach's room or something like that he climbs like two stories climbs into curly lambo's room and then he's like trying he wants to ask him for money or something like that and curly he had the audacity like everybody in the world thought you don't do that to this guy and he had the audacity to go in there and say hey give me some money you know and that kind of thing and i don't remember exactly how the story went down again i'm butchering it. i wish i could but yeah it was just a unique story that tells you what the vagabond halfback was all about he was great on the field but there was a reason why he bounced from team to team to team as well. And off the field, he had all these different kinds of antics. He was known to like his, his wife and the, if you look at the, uh, the, like the, what's it called? The bio or something like that. I think his pro football hall of fame said that he was a guy, like, he never grew up. He was always a kid. He was always a boy his whole life. And he just lived it like that. But again, pro football hall of fame inaugural class, 1963. It's hard to argue against that. Absolutely. Great player. Great stories. He has, uh, from, from yesteryear of football. Well, let's go a little bit more contemporary. And this is one of the teams that uh, I think that you've, you somewhat follow when you're not watching the Lions. Uh, Ed Reed is on our list. Oh, yeah. The the Ravens, you know, now I'm talking to you. And this is, you know, now I get to throw that dagger in the side of your, your kidney, too, about the Ravens. But Ed Reed, Baltimore Ravens, organized chaos. That's my defense. That's my team. Back when I was playing football, 
that was around the time when Ray Lewis and the 2000 championship. And then of course, he comes in later in, into the, the whole mix, but I love the way that he ball hawked. I love the way that the defense played. I mean, we could go through some of the stats and everything. I don't know exactly where he's at on the all-time list, but he had 64 interceptions in 167 games. That's a pretty good rating, scoring seven touchdowns, it says. There was a bunch of other things, too, as far as, you know, we could add the tackles, the defensive player of the year awards, the Pro Bowls, and all these kinds of things. But when it comes down to it, if you really want to get an idea of should he be on this list go to the nfl all-time video and listen to how giddy a guy who never gets giddy by the way listen to bill belichick and how he talks about ed reed that's all i'm, I'm gonna leave you with that and i'm gonna say he's in you, you can't even argue against it oh i don't disagree with it because i've i've seen him play twice a year for many years <laughs> or sometimes three times in a year unfortunately and, for uh, you yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he was he was a tough competitor, very much a ball hawk on that uh, secondary for the Ravens. Okay, let's go to another one, uh, another one that's kind of painful for me that I remember watching. It's Mel Renfro, and you know what? This is one of those things where if I was the host of the show, I'd be like, "Hey, I'm going to defer to you," because all I know is just reading through it. I don't, I didn't live through it. I didn't do much research on him before you know like to me as you said painful for you why was mel renfo so painful for you well he was just uh he was an ultimate competitor you know he he played you know i'm steelers fan no secret about that but having uh him play on some great dallas cowboy teams uh you know another great uh, db that just uh made life miserable for quarterbacks you know especially when you have you know star quarterbacks that you're expecting to have a good game and then you got this guy in the secondary it's just you know picking off passes deflecting passes you know covering your best receiver like a blanket you know mel renfro was that guy just like ed reed and but the thing that i found surprising about this you know doing some digging on him is that in college he was a running back. Huh. He wasn't even considered a, a defensive back. You know, here, here's one of the greatest uh, safeties ever in the NFL, and rightfully so in the in Football Hall of Fame. But he was a running back for the Oregon Ducks, and uh, and he was a quite an offensive weapon. And uh, it's just amazing that he could make that you know, flick that switch when he goes into the pros, or somebody had the the talent to, or the eyes to see that talent and switch him from being a great running back and put him in the defensive backfield. I, I just find that amazing, and it takes a special player to do that too. Yeah, those are two different – I mean, yeah, sure, there's some kind of crossover, but those are two different kind of skill sets too. It's not like going from maybe even quarterback to cornerback or wide receiver to cornerback or something like that. Well, something that was kind of evident of early in his NFL career, I mean, he ran back kick returns, and he had uh, 2,200 yards in kick returns in his tenure. And he, I, I think that was just probably in his first few seasons. I'm not sure if he did it for his entire se- uh, career, but uh, you know, just a just a great athlete, and uh, to be especially to be able to switch like that, I I, I think de- definitely in watching him play, uh, he was just had that it factor, sort of like Reed. You know, he just was always around the ball, and that's what all you ask of a defender: just be there, making plays. What was did so? Okay, I always looked at. Ed Reed and Brian Dawkins. This is I'm going to go with number 20s in my generation now. Did neither one of them, even though they both had the swagger, neither one of them did I feel like was that prima donna type, you know, me on an island, I'm the number one. What was Mel Renfro like? 
Um, now, I only saw him a couple times a year because, you know, mm-hmm. he was the, the Cowboys. But he – I don't – him. there was some big personalities on that defense. You know, you had Hollywood Henderson on there and, you know, Ed Tutal Jones. And sort of Henderson was sort of the, the one you always think of having the, the, the mouth of the, the Cowboys organization that would, you know, the uh, bulletin board material would be from him. I don't remember Renfro really being, you know – talking smack out in public anyway i'm sure he did on the football field they all do right right but uh but yeah again he's sort of that you know ed reed the brian dawkins you know just just did his job and did it well and uh but you but you never, really never hear safeties being loud you know troy palomalo never said a word i mean head and shoulders commercials. he's the nicest the first time i ever heard him talk, i think troy palomalo know? might be the <laughs> nicest dude in the world it seems like there's no way he should be that much he takes every single ounce of aggression on the field and that's it and then he brings it back home and he just seems like such a cool dude and he makes 100% of his leg days. Exactly. I, I only did one leg day. Today was my leg day. But, yeah, I can't be like Troy Palomalo. That guy's, <laughs> that guy's crazy there. I mean, I don't have the hair like him either. But uh, so <laughs> uh, Me neither. <laughs> I, uh, I was going to ask you a question, and you just threw me off. I was gonna, we'll come back to it probably. Okay. Well, maybe not because what's coming up next is something <laughs> that I think you've been waiting for for a while here. Uh, you know, just full disclosure – uh, when I said I was going to be doing this series and I talked to some of the guys on the Sports History Network, I said, you know, is there any number that anybody would want? And all of a sudden, I, I couldn't see it, but there was a hand that shot up and, you know, me, 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 you know, like that, that kid in uh, gym class, you know, who you know who wants to be the all-time pitcher or, or whatever. You know, that was Arnie Chapman for the number 20, and it's for this next player that's near and dear to his heart, Barry Sanders. So I'm going to... Let the microphone over to you, my friend. Yeah, Darren, I don't know. This is one of those moments where it's kind of like Avengers Endgame. You you watch Infinity War, and it's just so good, and it ends, and then you have that big buildup, and you have to wait so long until you can actually watch that movie, and it's not as good because, you know, you had so much in your heart where you're like, you're ready to watch it, but then the second time you watch it, it's much better. Uh, so I hope I can give Barry Sanders the justice. I, nay, I will never give Barry Sanders the justice that he deserves. Barry is by far, hands down, in my opinion, and I know I'm biased, I don't care, the best football player to ever walk this planet. And yes, I'm going to get a lot of blowback for that. But he was amazing. And he was Mr. Detroit Lions. He was Barry Sanders in the house. He was everything. I was going to be Barry Sanders until, well, you know, I, I'm not Barry Sanders and nobody else is Barry Sanders. And I, of course, didn't make it into the league or anything. But I can't compare because it's not fair. I almost liken it to maybe like kids from Chicago of how they wanted to grow up and be Michael Jordan. Maybe that's somewhat of a comparison. But then again, you know, Jordan gets that moniker of, you know, we'll call it quote unquote the goat. I mean let's get Oz on here to see what he likes. You know, he 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 will, he likes to say, I don't like that word the goat all the time because it's hard to compare. I wonder what he thinks. Is Michael Jordan the goat or was there maybe somebody else throughout time? Barry Sanders is to me the goat. And he will forever be the best running back that ever walked on the planet. I would get this Meyer. Do you guys have Meyer over by you? That the grocery store? Uh 
No, no. Nah, we'll either. call it like uh, similar to a Kroger, but it's bigger. It's like uh, kind of like half. We don't have Kroger either, but we know what they are. I don't even know what you guys would have, but it's kind of like a Walmart, but not all the extra stuff. It's it's it's, it's a little bit smaller normally. And they had this this VHS tape. Yeah, so I you can date me as far as other things, and you could pick on me for being younger. But yes, I do know what a VHS tape is, and we would get this Barry Sanders VHS tape, and it was all well, a, some of us remember a beta tapes too. Yeah, so. I saw that when I was on my DeLorean one time with. Dr. Emma Brown, we went back a few years and we went and he said, hey, this is what they used to watch. And I said, I don't know what that is. But yeah, no, I, I've heard of that as well. So we had this tape, right? And it was it was put out by Meyer because I think it Fred Meyer was somewhere maybe in Grand Rapids or something is where he started off. And it was just, I would watch that over and over and over. Back then you had to actually rewind the thing too. So we would bust it. We went through, I don't know how many tapes, just watching highlights. I mean, how can you not watch this guy and be in amazement. I mean, recently I had a guy on that got to play against him one time. His name was Carl Mecklenburg. He played for the Denver Broncos back in the 80s. And I asked him, what is it like playing against Barry Sanders? What is it like preparing for him? And I'm going to butcher it because he had, it's hearing it from his voice is way better. But he said, the coach basically told us, you bust through the line, he's going to be there and you're going to take your shot. You don't go where he's at. You either guess. You always guess as you go left or you go right. You got a 50-50 shot of maybe giving him a chance. And then if you don't, you get back up and you wait for him to come around because he's going to come back to you. And I heard, I mean, I don't know how many other people I heard having these same, same kinds of conversations that I've talked to through time that have played against Barry Sanders or coached against him or whatever. And even the Minnesota Vikings, I remember watching a video where they would put live chickens for the defensive players, they would. That's literally what they do. They try to wrangle live chickens to try it. Like they had to try to s- simulate. Because normally you have you have a player, right? When you're in co- you're you're playing football in practice, you have a player that okay, you tap them. You're going to be that guy that the star player from the other team. And you're then everybody's going to hone in on them. Who's going to be Barry Sanders? Good luck. The chicken reference. I'm always having like Rocky uh, with a Rocky three or Rocky four. Or, you know, <laughs> he puts them out there to catch a chicken. Right. Yeah. Same kind of concept. I mean, you, at least you get you get something. But again, Barry Sanders. Grant. I mean, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not here to like. You know, we don't want to have too much of a love fest. But we got to talk about Jeremy McFarland and his Jay Cutler. Come on, dude. Jay Cutler, Barry Sanders. What do you? Not even compare. Let's get out of here with that business. <laughs> I like Jay Cutler, except he's too pouty. Yes, Jeremy. Jay Cutler is too pouty. You need to teach that man how to smile. That's all. I got to say about that. But anyway, going back to Barry Sanders, Clark Judge, he's one of the Pro Football Hall of Fame voters. He's been on there for a while. And I've, and in this been multiple Hall of Fame voters that have told me essentially the same kind of thing. When you're, when you're voting for a Hall of Famer, they have to get up, right? The guy who's from that, that let's call it Detroit. Right now it was, uh, the name's escaping me, but the Detroit Free Press writer has a get up and he had to give an explanation he had to convince the rest of the voters why Calvin Johnson Megatron should have been in the Pro Football Hall of Fame this year. Clark said, the guy for Barry Sanders, that's the type of dude. You stand up, you say Barry Sanders, you sit right back down because there's no convincing. Like That's the type that he has. He held that among all those Pro Football Hall of Fame voters because now, now if you listen, if you go watch some things, the stadium, the Silverdome, Barry, 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 you ever watch those games? You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's just I'm getting the little chills and heartbeats thinking about that. But even though he could have been the player, that was by far and away. You could have said, okay, Terrell Owens, you know, star, prima donna guy. Like, Barry Sanders could have been that type of a guy that says, look at me. I'm the best. I'm the one. But it wasn't. I have two stories 
quick little stories that I'll share with you. You got to go back to the Bill Keenest episode. Listen to that interview because you can have a lot more on Barry Sanders. He was the Bill Keenest was the director of PR, the vice president of something like he was basically the main publications PR com- communications guy for the Detroit Lions for a long time since 1985. So he was there when Barry Sanders comes in the league. 1989, Barry Sanders rookie year. He was, t- they were watching, you know, because I forget who the other guy was in the other team, but they were watching. Barry had a shot to take down the rushing champ as a rookie, which is pretty good, you know, especially back then when running backs mattered more. Like, as in, they wouldn't use as many platoon systems and everybody was getting a, a thousand yards rushing meant nothing back then compared to what it does now. So he was 10 yards away when they come down to it. And the guy calls down to the offensive coach or whatever, tells Barry Sanders, hey, you're 10 yards away from the record, they're done playing. You, you can go out there. We can we can take the NFL rushing champion right now. Barry goes, no, I'm good. Let my whoever his buddy was, his, his second guy, you know, he needs some more reps. Go ahead and let him play. So talk about a selfless dude. But then another story that he tells when they were over in London, they were given all these hard rock cafe press pass or passes to just, you know, kind of like skip the line, right? You can skip the line, go in mm-hmm. because you're a football player and all these kinds of things. You have a lot of things you got to get to. Bill Keenis was talking, telling the story about how the guys were walking by the line and they were going to go use the Detroit Lions lapel pin. And all of a sudden they look over. There's this little short dude, of course, Barry Sanders is a little short guy. And they look at him, Barry, what are you doing? You know, he's standing in line by himself with nobody else. Not like he's trying to, you know, this entourage. And they're like, what are you doing, Barry? He's like, oh, I'm just waiting in line, you know, try to go in the restaurant. They're like, you know, you have your pin. He's like, yeah, I got it right here. And like, you know, you can skip the line, right? He's like, no, no, I'm good. I'll wait just like everybody else. And that was after he was already like one of the biggest names in the NFL. So that tells you the type of dude that he was. But let's get into some of his statistics, right? 10 seasons. 15,269 yards. Yes, that's do your your beep up boop, boop your 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 calculator thing. That's over 1500 yards a, a year. I mean, how many players can say that? 109 total yards, sure. Second all-time when he retired. Stats did not matter to him. But as we were sitting here, there is absolutely no way in my heart that he would not be, by far and away, the number one rushing record. Emma Smith would not have touched a candle to the wind when it comes to him. Of course, now he's fourth because we have Emmett Smith past Sweetness. We have Sweetness, and then you have Frank Gore that just recently passed him. So he, he, he will not live on to be probably in the top five here not too long after that. However, number one in my heart, he's the guy. But I got a question for you. Go ahead. Okay. So as a non-Detroit Lions fan, when Barry Sanders came to town, what was your thought? Yeah, uh, Barry Sanders was just that guy that uh, defenses has hated to play against. You know, it was an eleven-man defense that had to play Barry Sanders. It wasn't, uh, you know, just the backers or just, uh, you know, a lineman. It, not a one-on-one situation. You had to gang tackle this guy and surround him and give him nowhere to escape. And usually he'd still find a place to get out. So yeah, he was one of those players that defenders would probably call a real pain in the ass. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, and when I thought about this question to ask you too, I was going back in my days, and I'm like, I guess just from my perspective, maybe it's every time we played against Brady, it's like you just go, oh, here we go again, or I don't know. But I just don't know if I could really compare it to like one player that dominates so much. In my generation that I can think I, of. I would I would take it to a different sport. I would say, you know, a LeBron James or yeah. Michael Jordan. You know, probably LeBron's a better, you know, 
definitive uh, comparison because or Shaq, uh, like how do you stop Shaq? <laughs> right, yeah, but LeBron, LeBron just—I mean, how do you stop him? He just has everything going for him. You know, he's big. He can shoot from outside. He can handle the ball. Yada mm-hmm. yada yada. That's sort of what Barry Sanders was. You know, even though he only did uh, one thing, run the ball, he just did it with so many little g- tricks and gadgets that uh, you, know, you can't you can't stop that. It's hard. <laughs> Yeah, it kind of reminds me of, so I did. An, I, I had interviewed Gene Cronin, who played on the 1957 Detroit Lions team the last time they won the championship, unfortunately. And he, and in that game, the championship, they played against Jim Brown. And the, it was, I think it was his rookie year. I, I'm not 100% sure, but it was either his rookie year or second year. And the game plan going into it that the coach told them was, you're not going to stop Jim Brown. You just got to try to stop the long gainers. So it's like, that has to be what goes to the people's minds through Barry Sanders. But then again, it's like, oh, who was that cowboy that got turned around and fell down on the playoffs, uh, the infamous? I can't remember his name right now. But you watched the highlights where he goes into that big sea of, of Chicago Bears. Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he boom, he pops out the other side. Then he has that extra gear that you thought he didn't have. But somehow those little short, powerful legs kick it into another gear and then boom he's gone and you don't even think about it i do remember though near the end of his career when because he never used to have to look behind him and i remember the first game and i don't remember the specific game but i remember watching with my dad going holy crap barry sanders actually just looked behind him like he wasn't sure he was gonna outrun the guy that's when he knew he was losing maybe a little bit of a step (laughs) maybe but uh, yeah what what a Shame. I mean, I guess not for Barry's sake, but what a shame that as NFL fans, we didn't get to see him play out because he was still in his prime when he retired and definitely had some more juice in the tank, I think. Yeah. And the other thing about that, and it got me thinking, was I was probably, I didn't realize it at the time, but every year for every other team out there like there wasn't too many teams where you as a as a you know living in Pits, in the in the Pennsylvania area there was a team outside of your zone that you literally got to watch them every single year the Cowboys and the Lions no matter what you actually got to watch them nowadays yes you could watch NFL ticket you could watch whatever you wanted but back in the 90s they didn't have that and you could watch Emmett Smith in the afternoon and Barry Sanders you know the first game it's like two of the greatest running backs of all time like that must have been and i didn't realize how cool that was because it just for me it was just normal it's like i'm gonna wake up i'm gonna go play football against people and then i'm gonna come home i'm gonna eat and i'm gonna watch barry sanders play and then you got emma smith it just that's how it was so just neat to think back on how cool that must have been for other people around the nation yeah i I agree it truly was uh okay that's our our hall of fame players that uh were the number 20 but now uh We've got some players that are not in the Hall of Fame, at least yet, uh, but some very good players uh, on this list. And uh, I'm not sure if you have any in particular you want to go to. or. Um, well, you know what? Let's go with – so you gave me a good little start of a list. And, again, I a lot of them I don't know the names of. Uh, we can just kind of hash back and forth. I I went through so ProFootballReference.com. Let's give them another shout-out just like you do on pretty much epi- every episode that you have. I did probably near the same thing you you did. I, I did not sort by what they call the – what is the AV that you sorted by? What's it's that? Sort, that's sort of their player value that uh, people contribute in and say, you know, this guy's got some value into it. Okay. I, I, put, I put some of my own numbers in there to get them to, to fluctuate a little bit. But uh, Okay. So I, what I did was I just literally looked at their website and it has like, you know, all the 20s by alphabetical order. So again, the listener of the show, as you're listening now, 
set it up, hit it up, pigskindispatch at gmail.com. You got to send him anything that we may or may not have missed because totally going through just alphabetical order, it's easy for us to miss something, you know, that might not pop out from not living in that era and everything. Absolutely. Well, let's let's go to one player, sort of a good segue from Barry Sanders <laughs> to uh, another great uh, Detroit running back. It was a little few years ahead of Barry Sanders. Almost Barry was sort of his replacement. Uh, how about Billy Sims? Yeah, again, this he he hurt himself right before. Just to age myself for your fan listeners of your show, before I was around, so I didn't actually watch him. Only when you say Billy Sims, this is what I think of. And for those that can't visualize what I'm saying, because this is an audio podcast, I realized that's one of the worst things you could do in audio. I was I was floating my my arms like an airplane because for whatever reason, after he scored, he would go through the uh, watch the YouTube highlights. Billy Sims floating like an airplane, and I don't know where it came from. I'm gonna have to look it up, but yes, that's what I think of when Billy Sims. But I understand he was just considered one of the best prospects. Sure, he's taking number one overall. And here's a little tip for or a little interesting gold knowledge nugget. He was the first ever player taken on a live NFL draft on TV. Really? Oh, yeah. Okay. And guess who was who else was there? Your buddy Upton Bell. Really? He was oh, one of the okay. broadcasters. So the nineteen eighty draft, Billy. There was the first year that ESPN. They were a fledgling little um, nobody kind of broadcasting studio, and they went to the NFL and they said, "Hey, we want to broadcast live the NFL draft for the nineteen eighty draft." And, of course, a lot of people are like, man, these guys are crazy. Who's going to really want to sit there and watch an NFL draft? <laughs> well, now we know that they were wrong. ESPN was right. But, yeah, no, Upton Bell is one of the uh, like broadcaster-type cutaway guys or something like that for it. And, yes, Billy Sims' first ever on-TV draft. So before Mel Kuyper, it was Upton Bell. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know if Mel Kuyper was there that first year or not. I Maybe somehow as an analyst, I, I, I think I think he sort of came in the mid '80s, if I'm not okay. mistaken. Because I, I remember watching, and I don't remember. I remember he came on sort of uh, like Gangbusters when I was uh, in college. I think maybe maybe he was. I just don't remember him. But uh, but so with you, oh, okay. Here's a side note: Billy Sims has a great barbecue place. So if we were going to count him by barbecues, I can. I'll, I'm in over, especially <laughs> in Texarkana. They have a good one one location. There's multiple other ones. But yeah, I mean, when you were watching him when he came in the league, like, did he seem like the it factor? You know, compared to before he got hurt. Well, he he had a great resume. I mean, his first year, his rookie year, he had thirteen hundred yards. That's nothing to shake his. You know, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's that's pretty good for especially for a rookie. And thirteen touchdowns. You know, came back the next year, had over fourteen hundred yards. So yeah, I think that's that's pretty impressive. Uh, then he must have had the injuries because he dropped to like six hundred and had a year of a thousand and six hundred some again. But uh, the injury bug got him, and I think that's really what what got him. In, uh, yeah, that's I, that's not. what I've always heard. They even had so the Lions back in that time frame had a bunch of their guys. They sang a song. There was like a, a a remix for another one bites the dust. Did you ever hear that? No. Okay, so the they song, another one bites the dust. So it it was a remix or whatever. The, what do they call it when they not a remix, but when they do a, a mock of like Real Yankovic, all the songs he does. But at any rate, that that type of version. But it was about the Lions team, and it was you know Billy Sims doing whatever. Spider Man, some guy was the catch was the receiver. I don't. I used to listen to that on the way to school all the time in the car. So that's the only reason why I know ah, that okay. with Dark Queen Duck. It was like somehow they got mixed up tonight. So I don't know what was wrong with my mom. <laughs> okay now. <laughs> All right, uh, boy, we're getting out of hand here. Uh, let's um, 
let's go back. So we've got Billy Sims. Uh, another one that I have on the list is Rondé Barber, who were number 20. I mean, great, great uh, DB for the Tampa. Yeah, Bay. I'm, I'm going to officially place at least partially. If he's not in our top 15, I'm going to be surprised, at least as far as my vote goes, because he had a phenomenal career. Um, arguably potentially could could have maybe met in the Hall of Fame, maybe not enough of the okay stats, but that defense when he when they were creating the Tampa two and then they had that dominant I mean he was part of that as far as I remember and he he was very good. His brother was maybe received more of the accolades because he was more in front of the camera because of being with the New York Giants. Bigger Mark is probably the better, yeah, with the Giants. So, of course, people seen him on TV more. But Rondé Barber, I believe, and this is, of course, opinion, was the better player of the two twins, the Barber twins. Oh, I agree. I mean, just sit there and look at some of his statistics. I mean, first thing that jumps out of you, he's a defensive back. He had eight touchdowns in his career. I mean, defensive back. Yeah, that jumps right out. 47 interceptions. You know, that's another great stat. Uh, but he was another one of those guys in the defensive backfield. It just seemed like he was always around the ball, you know. you Every time you watch, you know, I don't, not like I watched a lot of Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, television broadcasts, but uh, we didn't get a lot of them in our area. But every time you did, you know, Rondé Barber makes a play. Rondé's in on the play. Oh, deflected by Rondé Barber. You know, always in it, making the tackles. Uh Great player, and I, I definitely agree with you. I think uh, he's one that I would argue for to be in that top 15. I got to see him decent amount, I think. I don't remember when they made the transition, but the Lions and the Bucks used to be in the, the central division with each other. Actually, the, the Bucks were, I mean, like the doormat for Barry Sanders. Like he even ran an 80-yard touchdown with one shoot. Let's go back to that guy again. I could talk about him all day. But, yeah, no, I again, I Rondé Barber, I'm throwing my plant, my flag. I'm going to vote for him for being in our top 15. Okay, I would not disagree with that one bit at all because he was a great player. Okay, uh, let's let's go to another defensive back, uh, a little, maybe a little bit before Rondé Barber, Deron <laughs> Sherry. I, you probably don't remember watching Deron Sherry. You know, I don't, and I had to look at it. I mean, I'm, again, I'm you know give a shout out. I'm looking at the Pro Football Research or Pro Football Reference dot com. Uh, you know, he had some accolades, it looks like, in here. I mean, as far as from your perspective watching him, I mean, what would you think about him? Oh, he he was just definitely a ball-hawking, uh, you know, cornerback for most of his career. I remember he he was like that shutdown corner than, uh, that you would think about. it, But a lot of free safety. Um, I just remember him must have, must have been more of a safety because he would always play your tight end. And if you had a, a stud tight end, He'd get nothing because Duran Cherry was just that good of a ball player. I mean, we we just talked. You know, Pro Football Reference has him at fifty picks. Uh, you know, we just talked about Rondé Barber was forty-seven. He even had three more than uh, Rondé Barber did. Um, great DB. I mean, there's a lot of good DBs with number twenty along with the the backs. Uh, yeah, this is where we get into the the twenties. Is where there's there's going to be more to choose from you would think, because of like the way that the NFL classifies their positioning. Right. I, I agree with you. I would say probably Rondé Barber was probably maybe a little bit better uh, as far as the, maybe the scheme he was in. Uh, and I'm not even sure what scheme Kansas City was playing for most of uh, Cherry's uh, career. But Cherry was definitely that DB that people talked about around the league, you know, in the, the 1980s. 
He was he was just that guy. So uh, let's uh, let's put him on standby here. Right. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Uh, well, I've been I've been dominating the the talk here. Why don't you bring in some of the folks that you would like to bring up? Well, I mean, let's just go again with your list here. So Jerry Logan is the next one that you brought in uh, for the Colts. Uh, going back to ProFootballReference.com, uh, looks like he played with them from '63 to '72. I'd have to go back. I mean, I know they they had some good years in there. How dominant were the Colts the entire time? Um, they they were pretty good during that time frame. I just don't know which which all years going through there. Um, I mean, he looks like he was a starter interception. He's, he started every game essentially for him, and his interceptions total were 34. Not saying that that's everything when you're a safety, but I, I had to imagine when you're that good, a, you're you're a starting safety for for a dominant team. You you must be pretty good, kind of thing. Oh, definitely. And this is this is probably one of Upton Bell's guys that he when he was player personnel. Yeah, right. And that right uh, when Upton would have been uh, having some say in who's coming in. So. Uh, yeah, I, I think he's a very solid player. I don't remember him playing. You know, it's just a little bit before I remember football. I was alive then, but uh, not watching football too much. Um, <laughs> I but, see that uh, they gave him three Pro Bowl nods, but no All Pros. That doesn't mean he can't make our top fifteen list. But I mean, just to put it into perspective of our Hall of Famers and what puts that Browns bust, you know, or puts them in a Browns bust versus someone that is just a good player or a great player. Right. I mean, you, like we, we said, you know, talking about the all pros, you know, Deron Sherry and Rondé Barber each had three all pro uh, monikers to their name. So Jerry Logan, maybe just a little bit behind them, but played in a little bit different era where you ran the ball a lot more than you passed. Uh, Barber and Sherry saw a lot more passes thrown at them. Uh, so in all fairness, um, but I think he's probably not somebody that we can just easily dismiss. It's probably somebody to be under consideration to, as well. Sure, sure. All right. Uh, if you want to stay on the list, we can go to uh, Bobby Bryant. Yeah, and you know the Bobby Bryant that you said here was the Chicago Cards and the Bears, nineteen twenties. And then when I clicked on the Bobby Bryant, I clicked on the wrong guy. I found one for the Minnesota Vikings, who was a cornerback who seemed to have a decent year or a career from sixty-eight to nineteen eighty. He had. 51 interceptions, so again, kind of on par with some of the other things. I would say fairly close to on par with this previous guy. He, couple Pro Bowls, no all pros, but again, that's not like the end-all, be-all when you're having to fight for the scraps at the bottom of the top 15. Um, Bobby Bryant that you were suggesting from the Cardinals, What what you said 1920s. Did you have much well, on maybe. him? Maybe maybe I had an error here because I'm I'm not seeing it now. Maybe I was looking at the wrong person. <laughs> oh, uh, okay. So uh, let's go on, go on to the next one here. I'll I'll do some. Uh, I'll put our research crew on this and see. Yeah, what, uh, give them a ring and see what they have to say. Now right. the next guy that you put on the list, and this is someone that I I kind of dug into a little bit too. Not not to an extensive you know reason, but. Oh man, I hope I don't butcher this name. Gino Capaletti for the for the Boston Patriots, not for the New England Patriots. This is back in from sixty to seventy. He he was on the the original team. It looks like uh, you know i I have it here as is he a kicker? Field goals and field goals made. I mean, that's what I see it as. The number twenty kicker. I mean, am I crazy? I, 
Yeah, I think I think that's what he was. He was a kicker, but he also played wide receiver, a little bit of DB. He was yeah, sort of the, the Swiss Army knife of the AFL, I think. Pro Football Reference has him listed as LE, which I'm taking it as left end and flanker. And then he made some Pro Bowl. He made you know Pro Bowls back in the AF, AFL, of course, for for some of these things. So I'd have to look and see, you know, what's the they, they get some of the whole, you know, it's, it was AFL, so it doesn't matter or count as much. But then hey, they proved that they, well, we came in the league with you. Now this the reason why I brought him up and it kind of sparked my interest was because when I when I told you earlier that were there were only three number 20s that have been retired the patriots actually retired capaletti's jersey according to espn's like little list of everything it was the lions retired Bar- number 20 barry sanders and lem barney will call it sure you can throw billy sims but that's not why they retired the jersey uh patriots they retired it for capaletti for according to the espn website and then the eagles for brian dawkins which i kind of found i'm curious if that that we could we could have a whole episode on should they retire jerseys when should they retire jerseys but I saw the Eagles retired Donovan McNabb I'm, for number five I'm like hmm question I don't know he was great for a long time multiple you know, NFC championship games in a row what was it like three or four you know NFC championship yeah and he went to the Super Bowl and everything but is that kind of like horseshoes that don't count until you make it in and, and win the game because uh, you know that kind of thing. <laughs> Well, I don't know. Minnesota Vikings fans and Buffalo Bills fans may be offended to say that because they were, you know, they had some great players and got into yeah. Super Bowl multiple years. I would say the and... same thing because how can I say anything when I'm talking about the greatest player of all time on a team that never made it to the Super Bowl? So they could come back at me any which way they want. So, <laughs> <laughs> but well, this, I mean, Capaletti, you know, a lot of stats on him kicking, like you said, a lot of field goals, but he had 42 touchdowns receiving. So, I mean, that's that's something substantial to talk about. I'm looking um, at, oh, you know what? I didn't go all the way down. Holy moly, yeah. Wow, this guy's okay, he officially is making my list now. I didn't <laughs> screw all the way down and realize. No, talk about a multifaceted kind of guy. This is like, you know, reminiscent of back in when they first started the NFL where they would be, you know, Jim Thorpe. He's a punter, he's a kicker, he's a runner, he's a defender. So, yeah, no, I with this this new information I'm officially going to go ahead and click on Capaletti as one of my top guys because even in the the fumbles and interceptions category right here, I see he had that. Yeah, he's an all-around dude. Let's pick him. Yeah, yeah, I I think you're right there. i got to learn how to scroll down. (laughs) You can't go wrong with Gino Capaletti. Not to be confused with John Capaletti, but John Capaletti didn't wear number 20, so we're not going to talk about him today. Okay, I was about to ask you, but you just said we're not going to talk. I don't know, I don't know you... if there's any relation or not. I just, <laughs> the, the name's the same. But <laughs> All right, so then that was, you know, you had one more player, which kind of popped out to me too, Lamar Parrish, who played mm-hmm. for Cincy in Washington. So if I'm not mistaken, I want to say that Lamar Parrish was one of the arguments against Ken Riley being in the NFL Hall of Fame or the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Because he, I want to say he was the cornerback on the other side, and one of the arguments why Ken Riley had so many interceptions was that, well, yeah, no one wanted to throw at Parrish, so they threw over at the other guy, and he had to make all the interceptions. And that's, but again, I'd have to go back and see if Parrish, the timeline matches, I think. But um, you know, his his stats, I'm trying to pull up here. I think he was, he had some pretty good stats there for yeah, his forty-seven seven interceptions. Uh, for Parrish. Yeah, and that was in a seven or eight year. Oh, I guess he did make it through 82, so it's a little bit longer than I thought, 12 years. So, but still, and that was the knock on Ken Riley, and you'll talk about him later on in, in an episodes that, you know, he only had that many interceptions. He's like number three overall, or now he's down there, but he, number 
three overall at the time when he retired, but he had so many years, so it doesn't count. I'm like, I don't know. That's a, that's a hard argument to say. Yeah, but yeah, uh, Lamar Lamar Parrish. I can remember him. He was another one, you know, for you, yeah, the, watching the Bengals, you know, a couple times a year play uh, against my Steelers, and uh, Steelers had some pretty decent offenses when uh, Parrish played. But Cincinnati has sort of had their number all the time. You know, it seems uh, they were just a, another real pain in the, the hind end for the Steelers during those times because they were a pretty good team. So was the, I mean, I know it's, it probably wasn't the AFC North back then, but was it the same as it is now, no matter how bad the two teams were back then when they played each other in, in interdivision that was just it, a it, knockout? It may have been worse because it was the AFC Central back then, and it was the Houston Oilers, you know, had some great teams under Bum Phillips. The, the Steelers, you know, the 70s were... You know, just tremendous team. Cleveland Browns were a great team. You know, Brian Sipe and, uh, you know, the, the two Pruitts that were in the backfield and some good defense. You know, and then you had uh, Cincinnati. You know, Ken Anderson was a quarterback. You had, you know, Riley and Parrish, uh, is, you know, some of the DBs. And they, they had some real talent, uh, all, all four teams. It was just a, a blood fest, you know, every year. Uh, similar to what it is now, only the, you know, the Bengals are struggling a little bit, but, uh, Anybody could win that division every year. It wasn't just the uh, you know, Steelers dominating it. They they did win more than their share, but uh, we were fortunate to get through that sometimes because there was some good competition there. Okay, uh, there was uh, somebody I did not have on our list. Yeah, I think uh, it, can I can I guess because uh, you know being. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. You can. You are can you about it. to say Rocky Blyer? Well, I was going to bring Rocky Blyer oh, up. Dang it. <laughs> And I, I, I do want to bring Rocky Blair up. There's somebody that maybe I didn't give enough credit to when I sent this initial list to you. That, how Garrison Hurst is on Oh, I, yeah, I put him down too. I mean, he was – so, okay, l- l- let's get into this. Frank Gore wore number 20 for the Buffalo Bills, but I personally – even though he's number three overall, I don't think we should count him because he only wore it for one season when he wasn't that good. I, I agree. I agree. But yeah, Garrison Hurst, he was he was good for a long time for I mean, I know I remember the 49ers. What did he play for another team too for a little bit? Uh played for the the Phoenix and Arizona Cardinals, played for Cincinnati for a year and then most of the year for uh, most for the Niners and one year at the end of his career with the Denver Broncos. Yeah, so I see here 49ers. Okay, so yeah, so around that time. Yeah, that that makes sense cuz you know, some of my formidable years he, you know, like you said, okay, so here's his his best season probably 19 98, 1,570 yards for seven touchdowns he had receiving two. Yeah, so, I mean, he had, he had that was probably his best season. But the 99 and 2000, oh, two years in a row he had, he was, he missed the season for being injured. A vascular necrosis. What is that? I don't know, but it's some, something not good. Yeah, no, it can't, if you're missing two seasons... A vascular necrosis. I can't get a... Then then he comes back after missing two years with whatever that injury is and has 1,200 yards, you know, the very next year back in. So, I mean... We got to give him some credit where it's due. According to mayoclinic.org, a vascular necrosis is the death of bone tissue due to a lack of blood supply, also called osteonecrosis. It can lead to tiny breaks in the bone and the bone's eventual collapse. A broken bone or dislocated joint can interrupt the blood flow to a section of bone. So he's basically glass from the comic books. So, I mean, yes, I I think for, for getting through that alone, he has to get more points. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I... 
kind of regret that I didn't have him up higher on that, that list and I saw his well, name pop like up. Well, like I said there. at the beginning, we had a caveat. Going through alphabetical lists too is hard to hard to fully tell everything. But yeah, no, I, I so far when I was looking through it, thinking top fifteen, I'm like only from personal experience because I watched him play so much, I thought he was a guy I would consider putting up because I mean I think he was there when they were winning the Super Bowls or was it after that? Oh crap! No, it was night. Was it ninety six? The Forty ers won it last. With uh, yeah, I, th- I think he might have been in there for one of the Super Bowls. Okay, with the Steve Young Young uh, era. But uh, another one that and I was sort of disappointed when I saw this. I saw this name and then I looked at the stats. Joe Morris uh, from the Giants fame um, played in those you know Bill Parcells uh, original teams that you know, won the Super Bowl. He was a Giant his whole career. Uh, I'm sorry, played one year with Cleveland at the end. But Joe Morris kind of surprised me with his numbers. I thought he had a lot more yardage than he did, but he had 50 touchdowns in his career. You know, 5,500 yards rushing, 50 touchdowns in uh, eight eight seasons, and one of those was with, with Cleveland. It doesn't look like he played that much. But he was another one that had a major injury, 1989, missed an entire season with a foot injury. Uh, but... I was thinking he played a lot longer and had a lot more yardage. He had 21 but, touchdowns in 85. Yeah. It, wow. It was, he had like those uh, real, two really banner years, and the, the Giants won the Super Bowl in one of them, you know, with uh, Phil Simms and, uh, you know, LT and, on the, and Bill Parcells as a coach. But um, I don't I don't know. He's, he's one I sort of put on the fence because he was just outstanding just for those couple years and then sort of – mediocre he settled in for the rest of his career yeah uh, i'll put him on my maybe list yeah i I definitely think so and then uh you know if you know i got to talk about rocky blyer yeah yeah let's talk about the guy who has a play named after him Uh, a one-man play or something like that (laughs) right i mean rocky blyer for one is just uh he's a he's a national hero because the guy you know gets drafted in the nfl but also gets drafted into the, the u.s military goes over and serves in vietnam uh you know we thank him and all our other uh fighters that are going overseas and uh, sacrifice being away from their families and you know being rockies in a war uh gets a purple heart comes back and plays football at a high level i mean had that one season where he and franco harris both had a thousand yards in the season um just he caught the ball well out of the backfield. He was just a constant uh, presence, and you, you know, on a team of stars and a lot of offensive stars. You know, you had Swan Stallworth, Franco Harris, Terry Bradshaw, uh, and you have Rocky Blyer. He's just that, you know, not no pun intended, but he was sort of that rock that was there that you could always depend on. You know, everybody else is watching, expecting Franco to get the ball. You know, they pop one off the Rocky Blyer, and he, you know, goes in for a score. Guy doesn't get enough credit for what he did as a football player, uh, but he is one of my favorites, and he's he's still a fan favorite in Pittsburgh, and he hasn't played for you know almost fifty years. You know? <laughs> so he is, uh, and the numbers don't really show what what kind of player he was. You know, twenty three touchdowns, uh, thirty eight hundred yards rushing, but uh, great great blocker too. I mean, he had a lot of key blocks that uh, sprung. Uh, Franco Harris because that, that they played more of a you know a tandem backfield back then you know, and even though uh, Rocky was the, listed as a halfback and Franco was a fullback you know your bell cow was Franco Harris on that team. Yeah, I would be. I it's, it's easier for you to argue for him for me just because of a 
I've heard of that name before amongst all these other people that are from the other generations. B, like you said, it's not just about stats. It's about a lot of the other things and what he meant to that team at that time in one of the greatest eras of teams in NFL history. So that would be one argument, or I guess I named off a few of them, arguments Mm -hmm. that we could put for potentially putting him on there. Yeah, I'm I'm not saying he should be on the list of 15. I I don't know that he does make it, but I think he's worth mentioning because he was a substantial player. Maybe uh what do they call it when they're not on a list but they're honorable in the mentions? An honorable mention. Yeah. yeah Here's I, another I honorable mention for you. This is for Jeremy McFarland. Okay. And it's just for one year, but he had a really good fantasy year. Travis Henry in 2006 had a really good year for the Tennessee Titans. Period. That's it. I'm not going to put him on the list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean he was a great player too. Uh but like you say, I don't know if he's almost like you got that Joe uh, Morris argument. He, had, you know, do you do it for one or two good years, and then the rest is sort of mediocre? And you're, you're, you know, or Garrison Hurst, you know, he, that, that man produced even mm-hmm. after injury, he produced. I would put him in a little bit higher uh, standing for our list than I would Joe Morris and uh, Travis Henry and even Rocky Blyer. What about um, Thomas Jones? He played for, I remember, the Jets and the Bears. I don't remember. We'd have to look at his stats to, you know, I don't know if we're talking top 15, but he's at least a guy that he had a decent career, if I remember correct. Yeah, he uh, he was another one. He had, well, like five banging years where he went over 1,000 yards. But that, he his first uh, oh, yeah. looks like six seasons, he, he didn't even hit 1,000 yards and didn't even have double-digit touchdowns. And he only had double-digit touchdowns in two seasons, and that was 2008-2009 with the Jets. Yeah, looking and at I, his stats here, I, he's he's more like a dude here. And I remember him as a better back with Chicago. That's who I think of when I think of Thomas Jones as a Chicago Bear, and he was only there for three seasons. I don't even think of him really as a Jet. Yeah, there's another guy on this list here that I'm looking at, and this it would, by no means is he my top 15. I'm not even close, but I just thought it was a cool name. 1932, Shipwreck Kelly. I mean, back then they had cool names, man, nicknames and everything. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh yeah. And then there's another one here, John Outlaw, just like Johnny Blood. He was only there for one year. But um, I guess going a little bit closer to nowadays, well, here's a name. Natron Means. I remember having his card in the Thousand Yard Rusher Club, but I don't remember how long he was good for. I'd have to look at that up. Yeah, I think he was another one of those like two or three uh, solid seasons of what I remember, just off, off the top of my head. You know, uh, now that I'm thinking about it, no, he he's not on my list. But he, how, how he, about uh, Darren McFadden? He's he's that was yeah. I had him on my list too, but yeah, let's go back to Natron Means. He's no longer on my list because I think he may or may not have helped freaking Bobby Ross have a good season so yeah he's off my list forever oh sore subject sorry sorry (laughs) but yeah Darren McFadden like highly touted player coming out of college you know supposedly supposed to be one of the better running backs since you know sliced bread was came out back in 1982 or 1912 but I don't know I mean he had a decent career but it just he he was injured all the time it seemed like yeah he's I don't think he makes a list it was definitely a big name but I think bigger because of what he did in college and uh he just never really was that that back you know one 1000 yard season in his career uh, mm-hmm. and that was with Dallas I wasn't even with the Raiders who, uh, and again that's I think he's one of those guys like you said more by name than by production right uh, are you at a point you think we're we can uh, start? I think we can get we can get the list. I did want to bring. I want to give a special shout out to to one guy though, um, Jackie Dwayne Washington. 
Dwayne Washington was a good one. Yeah, Dwayne <laughs> the Rock Washington. No, Jackie Wallace, who was a, okay. a, a, a episode a couple of mine ago. Not that he would be anywhere on this top fifteen list, but his story is unbelievable. Um, I recommend going back and listening to the Jackie Wallace story. He was even on uh, Good Morning America. What's the one without Roker? That the Today Show, and, Today and show. it just this this story of him and his and his buddy. Uh, that's losing my mind. But the guy, but just go back and listen to the Jackie Wallace story again today. If you, you're going to ask me the question, who's the best number twenty in today's sport? I guess Jalen Ramsey's the one that comes to mind. Yeah, I, I wouldn't disagree with that. He's a, he's a good one too. But anyway, yeah, let's get back to your fifteen. Okay, I'm, you know, I don't normally do this, but I'm going to say I agree with the ten of the eleven that are on the Pro Football Hall of Fame's list. We're in the number twenty should be in that fifteen. And like I, you know, like we talked about earlier, the one I'm on the fence a little bit about is. Um, probably curly lambo that sounds so dirty to say though doesn't it I, Being I know, nfl but, history yeah but i'm I, with you I, I really am that was the one of all of them because i didn't know enough i'm like if he was not lambo if he was not curly lambo the coach i don't think he would have just been another dude i think and i think he did make it on he made it on at least one other list of numbers so we mm-hmm. did recognize him in a top 10 list but i don't know that he makes it on this list for the number 20s uh, because there's just so much talent that we're we're looking for the greatest players. Yeah, um, it's easy I, for I, me to say. You're talking to the Detroit Lions guy, so anytime I can put a, D, a Green Bay Packers in the dirt, yes, Tommy <laughs> Phillips, yes, Ultimate Packer backer who's about to join us. Just by the way, that's a hint. We're going to have another podcast on the network. But yes, I'm with you. Let's get him off the list. Okay, um, so let, let's go through our ten that we are saying are in. Then you know, definitely Barry Sanders. Brian Dawkins, Len Barney, uh, Mel Renfro, Ed Reed, uh, Patty Driscoll. I'm gonna I'm gonna fight for him, and I don't know if you want to say he's on here, but I, I won't argue. Good. I've uh, what's it called when I have no other questions, counselor? <laughs> okay, and uh, Johnny Blood. I'm gonna say should be on there too because he's just a great story, and I love the name. Uh, Cliff Battles and uh, you know Fats Henry. I think those are our our ten. Did you that, say Flaherty? Uh, Oh, and Ray, yeah, Ray Flaherty. Um, and, and and Schmidt, he he talked me into it as well with the way you argued for him. To, again, I have no further uh, uh, questions, counselor, however, whatever that is. I don't know what that would <laughs> you be. Rest your, rest your case. Yeah, there you go. I rest my case. The, see, it's good that I don't know the lingo for a courtroom. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, Flaherty was the the other one that, uh, yeah, definitely should be on that, that list. So those are our ten. We need to find five names, and maybe Lambo is one of them that we'll choose. I'm yeah, not totally maybe we'll come back to it. I like but, to uh, vote for Randy Barber if you don't mind. No, I I agree with that one. I think he should be on there. So let's. He's our number. He's our eleventh person. We need four more from our names or Ca- anybody else. Capaletti. I think we decided he should be in there. For yes, everything Capaletti he did. should be one. So that's twelve. We need three more. This is where it comes down to being difficult for me, and I, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna put a vote in. I think uh, Daron Cherry should be in there because I think he was that significant of a, a defensive back. The way you described how he was and how he played as a shutdown, I would have a hard time disagreeing. At the same time, I'm just gonna trust you because I, I don't know anything about him. All right, I'm I'm gonna put that bit in for him then. So that's 
13. We need two more. Now, some um, names that we put on honorable mention. We we said uh, Jerry Logan was honorable mention. Garrison um, Hurst. Garrison Hurst is in there. Um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to say, I think Garrison Hurst ought to be in that. that yeah. List. I, after going through my list again, you know, there might've been some of the bigger names by, like you said, Darren McFadden by name, maybe, but Garrison Hurst was, he was a, a pretty good deal for there for a longer period than like you said, Travis Henry for maybe one or two years. Sorry, Jeremy, but, uh, Garrison Hurst, I think I could argue for it. Yeah, I I th- definitely think he should be on there. So we have one more, and if we if we had a a set of drums here, we'd play a timpani, you know, like on the old uh, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> Tempons, uh, I can't do it. That, <laughs> but um, who do you think should we need for that number fifteen on our list? Hmm. <sighs> Just looking through them, Lamar Parrish. We had a decent argument for. Uh, did you say Jerry Logan already, or no? Jerry Logan was on standby. We didn't. We didn't okay, count so him in yet. We, so it's between Billy Sims, Jerry Logan, Lamar Parrish. I, that I might agree. that might be the top three that I'd have to vote between. Okay, let's. You know, um, well, we got two two uh, defensive backs. You know, if we go head to head on them, um, you know, Parrish had forty seven interceptions, and uh, what did we say? Uh, Jerry had. Uh, Jerry Logan, we also made the argument that he was on the Colts during a, a very good team, and he was a starting safety the whole time. Yeah. I, that's a oh, man. That's a, both of them are difficult. Yeah, that's a toss-up. Do you have a coin? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, you know what? Let's do this. I think we go uh, 15A, 15B. I think we put you know them what? both on there. I'm even okay with, because of Billy Simp, he had a, such a short career. He may have been good for those first two or three years. Do we think he had enough? This goes back to the Hall of Fame argument where Calvin Johnson this past year. Did Billy Sims have enough years of significance to be overtaking these two gentlemen? Or, like you said, 15A, 15B? I I think it's a 15A, 15B situation. I don't think Sims has... uh... He, I'd put him sort of in that category where we have, you know, Joe Morris and uh, mm-hmm. you know, Travis Henry, where they had, you know, one or two real standout seasons and uh, just couldn't have that long career. You look at Garrison Hurst; that's a, that's a long career. You know, that's well, that's yeah. He like came back from Frank Gorest. You know? <laughs> I forgot what that what that term was, but he was glass from the comic books where he had broken like bones deteriorating and stuff. I forgot he came what back that at was. a high level. Yeah, I mean that to me that was that. As a person and a, and a character, that was more impressive. That was called uh, a vascular necrosis. Well, I'm glad you had to say that. <laughs> I, would have, I would have bought butchered that one up. <laughs> All right, I think we we got our listen. That's our our final. Um, so we are going to go with our uh, Hall of Famers: uh, Barry Sanders, Bar- Brian Dawkins, Ray Flaherty, Lem Barney, Mel Renfro, Ed Reed. Uh, Patty Driscoll, Curly Lambo, Johnny Blood, Cliff Battles, Pete Henry, and then we're going to go uh, Garrison Hurst in there, um, Gino Capaletti, and Duran Cherry, and I think is that our fifteen? That's fourteen. And, uh, Jer- Jer- Jerry Logan and um, uh, Lamar Parrish as Lamar our Parrish. as our other ones, our fifteen A, fifteen Bs. I think that's a pretty good list. I think that's a 
we did a good job there. That's a tough field to pick from because there's so many to pick from. And, uh, you know, Arnie, we thank you very much for uh, joining us on this. And, uh, and uh, do you have any final words maybe about that? You have the Sports History Network going. I know you mentioned something a little bit earlier, but maybe tell people a little bit about what that is all about. Sure. So the Sports History Network is uh, our vision is to create the headquarters for sports yesteryear. And that means via any kind of medium, the goal is to bring along a bunch of passionate content, a bunch of passionate content creators such as yourself, Darren on the network to be able to share the great stories of all the legends of yesteryear. And that that goes across every sport out there. Sure, there's the four major sports in America, but our goal is to create the headquarters so it can be discoverable content for someone like me who is a major NFL football history fan and I don't know much about other sports, brings in someone like Jamie Furness and he talks about korfball. And now I know what korfball is. Like, that is just one example. And we want to be able to bring light to all sorts of different sports and everything for you, the listener, to come into the Sports History Network, which is at sportshistorynetwork.com, and you can discover plenty new shows. Right now we have 18, but we have two. Oh, wait, nay, we have three that I'm already in talks with that are coming along the way. And by the time this episode comes out, you might even see 20 to 25. Excellent. Definitely check out the sportshistorynetwork.com. Check out Arnie on the Football History Dude podcast there on sportshistorynetwork.com and a lot of our other hosts have great talents there. And Arnie Chapman, want to thank you for all your time and your great insight that you had here and great stories. And uh, thanks for being coming and joining us on the Pigpen for this number 20 discussion. For sure, Darren. It was great. Always love talking football, love talking football history, but most importantly, Barry Sanders. <laughs> thanks, Arnie. Peeking up at the clock, the time's running down. We're going to go into victory formation, take a knee, and let this baby run out. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you back tomorrow for the next podcast. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleet Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Each week, the official Football Learning Academy podcast will take you deep into the history of pro football through interviews with players, coaches, or administrators in the NFL, as well as interviews with Pro Football Hall of Fame selectors, authors, and historians. You'll learn how the game evolved and important moments that shaped the sport into what it is today. And don't miss the Pro Football History Nugget of the Week. Listen to the official Football Learning Academy podcast on the Sports History Network. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. 
head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.